Hey, so there's this man. Uh, he was an engineer, and he worked uh, uh, up until retirement. He did, he did really well with his money. He invested in his 401K, and so he could retire at 65. And what he would do every week uh, is he'd go to 7-Eleven every Friday, and he'd get a lotto ticket uh, for a dollar, and he'd get a Diet Pepsi. He'd fill out the lotto ticket, bring it home, and then the next week he'd go and see if he won, and then he'd pick up another lotto ticket and get his uh, Diet Pepsi. And so uh, uh, it got to where he was, you know, he'd do this every single week. And, and again, if you're against the lottery, I understand the theological implications of this story. But uh, he was fine. It was a dollar a week, $52 a year, no big deal, right? Well, he started getting older, and he couldn't walk to 7-Eleven anymore because he was, he was too old. And so his daughter would go to the house would uh, get the lottery ticket, would go to 7-Eleven for him, would get his Diet Pepsi and another lotto ticket and fill out the numbers because he used the same numbers every week. And then uh, she'd come home and, 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 and see him. And, uh, and uh, well, one, one week, the lotto hit $2 million. The guy's 80 years old. And so now the daughter's kind of sitting there like, huh. well, he's already got his retirement, right? I mean... He doesn't need $2 million. Plus, if I tell him he won $2 million, he'll probably get so excited he'll die of a heart attack. I can't kill my own dad, right? So she's got this dilemma. So what she does is she calls her pastor because we're trained in this stuff. As a matter of fact, I went to seminary. One of my classes was how to tell someone they won the lottery and, <laughs> and so, uh, without giving them a heart attack. And so... Uh, and so she calls the pastor and she says, Pastor, uh, my dad won $2 million in the lottery. I'm afraid to tell him. I, th- I think he's going to get so excited he's going to die of a heart attack. And the pastor says, uh, it's a true story, by the way. Um, the pastor says, uh, eh, don't worry about it. I'm totally trained in this. I'll take care of it. I got it. it not, no big deal. And so he goes and the guy's name is Jack. And he says, hey, Jack, how, how you doing? And Jack says, oh, I'm doing okay. I've got a... Uh, you know, my back hurts a little bit, and I, uh, you know, and so he's talking, because that's how people who are 80 talk, and uh, so, um, <laughs> so, I know, <laughs> so, isn't that awesome, right, uh, okay, okay, so, uh, so he says, hey, you know, because uh, he's trained, again, this pastor is very, very smart, he says, uh, you play the lottery, yeah, yes, every week, you know, I've done it for years, oh, okay, what, what would you do, I don't know, have you ever thought about if you won, you know, what, what would you do, like if you won like $2 million, what would you do? And, and so Jack goes, oh, I know exactly what I'd do. I'd give half of it to the church. And the pastor dropped dead of a heart attack. Yeah. <laughs> so, true, true story. Okay. The reason, Papa Ron, thank you for that joke, by the way. Yeah, yeah. That was, uh, that was, this is what we do in our prayer thing on Tuesday mornings. We tell each other pastor jokes. It's very awesome. Uh, but uh, the reason that's funny is because uh, you can imagine a pastor, uh, especially when it comes to money, uh, if, you, if you told the pastor that you were going to donate a million dollars to the church, he probably would die of a heart attack because you just don't expect that as a pastor. And if you have been away from church for a while or you're new to church and, 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 uh, or, or you've been away and you're coming back, maybe one of the reasons why you don't come to church or never, you know, or, or, or were away for a while is because you thought, man, all they talk about is, wow, 
You guys are brutal. Yeah. It's supposed to be Jesus, but okay, money. Uh, right? There's just this kind of thing that that's what it, that's what it, that's what it feels like. And so this morning, I'm going to talk about money. Because here's what I believe with all my heart, uh, that money is a spiritual topic. Um, as a matter of fact, the, one of the reasons why some churches talk about money uh, is because the Bible talks about money more than anything. Uh, more than any other topic, money, finances, is, one, is, is, the, the, is up there. And so uh, Jesus talked about money as well. Money is a spiritual Issue And what we're going to look at this morning is where this comes from. What, 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 why? What, what, what is it about money? What is it about uh, giving and saving and planning, all this kind of stuff that would have anything to do with God, you know? And so what I want to do this morning, we're going to look in Genesis at the creation and see if there was anything that we, that in our creation that might point to something uh, that has to do with um, taking care of money. And then we're going to look at uh, like a really key verse in Luke and then a section of scripture in Matthew. And uh, hopefully by the time uh, I get done this morning, you will think of your money differently than you did before you came through the door. Uh, and then hopefully um, a lot of you will feel guilty because that's my job. No, I'm kidding. Uh, Genesis chapter 2. What's happened is uh, God has described how, he, he, in Genesis, it's described how God created the earth. And uh, in Genesis, they talk about this happening in seven days. And some people believe it was a literal seven days. Other people believe it was thousands of years or what have you. And there's theological room for both and, and, and understanding both. But Here's the point is that he created. Okay, that's the kind of the point of the beginning of Genesis. And so he gets done creating. And so we're in chapter 2, verse 5. And here's what it says. Now, no shrub had yet appeared on the earth. And no plant had yet sprung up. And the Bible gives two reasons why this hasn't happened yet. The first is right here. For the Lord had not sent rain on the earth. The way that everything was watered at that time was from the earth. And so there was no rain. And for some reason, the Bible says that this is, this, so no plant or shrub grew up because the, there was no rain. But then he goes on, the writer goes on, and gives another reason why there was no shrub or plant. And I don't know if you've ever noticed this in the Bible or ever thought about why we were created. Here's what it says. For the Lord had not sent rain on the earth, and there was no one to work the ground. Now, I don't know how you think of creation or how you think of, like, what happened with sin, but oftentimes I, I mistakenly think that before there was sin... You just were kind of naked and ate stuff and you were just like in the garden, I don't know, fanning yourself or whatever. I mean, it was just kind of, there was, you were just kind of free. You didn't have to really do anything and you'd think about God and you'd think about, but the Bible doesn't share that. The Bible says they were there to till the ground, to tend to creation. As a matter of fact, it goes on. And it says this, it says, there was no one to work the ground. Then the, then the Lord formed a man from the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils, which is weird, uh, the breath of life. And man became a living being. 
God created man because he needed someone to tend to creation. And then God does something else, which is one of the keys of what I'm going to talk about this morning. The Lord God made all kinds of trees grow out of the ground. And look at the criteria of these trees. Trees that were pleasing to the eye and good for food. But pleasing to whose eye? Like God's eye? Or the man he just created? For food for who? For God? For the animal? Or for the man he just created? Here's the reciprocity that's happening in creation. God provides for man. Man is a steward of God's creation. God provides for man both pleasing and food. God takes care of man. And man takes care of God's kingdom. Do you see that? God creates this kingdom on earth, right? This creation And he creates man to tend to it, to be a steward of these resources. And then he provides for all his needs. So it goes on. It says, the Lord took man and put him in the garden to work it and take care of it. Now we think of work and we think of all this as something that happened when sin happened. That we think of that, that when sin happened, then I had to get a job, right? I mean, and some of you think about your job and you're like, it definitely is the result of sin. I'm telling you right now, you know, if you were in my office, you'd know exactly what you're talking, you know, I'm talking about. But that's not the case. We were created to tend the creation. And when sin happened, that tending turned to toil. That's what happened. There, there was this... Um, natural kind of uh, thing. Everything fit. It was shalom. We talk about this quite often here. We, it was shalom. It was fitting together. That, that man was created to be creative, to take care of things, to work, and to be fulfilled in that. And then God, on his part, would take care of man and provide for him so that man didn't have to worry about everything. Everything was provided for him. I would like to make a suggestion this morning. That none of that has changed. That God still provides for all our needs. And our job is to be a good steward of the resources that he has given us. Now, oftentimes it's hard to wrap our head around this because it feels like we make our own money. And, and if you work hard and you, know, you, you drive a forklift for 60 hours a week, it's like, man... I don't know about God. I mean, I, God didn't get me. I drove myself there. I work hard. I got this. This is kind of, kind of my, my money. But here's one of the things that happened in the fall. We were less concerned about God's kingdom, and we started thinking about our own. I mean, this is really the, I mean, when, when God created the garden, and he said, you're going to tend it and take care of it, there's just one parameter. Don't eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And Eve was like, man, I really care about my kingdom. I would like to know the difference between good and evil. I would like that in my kingdom, and so that's where sin happened. But here's here's the thing. Our relationship with God is always in the context of stewardship. Because God doesn't only care about how you handle your money. He cares how you handle your relationships. 
He cares if you're a man, he cares how you think about women, how you value them, and vice versa. If you, uh, uh, God cares about how you use your time. God is really interested and very connected with our stewardship. And as we'll see in a minute, God is concerned and very interested in how you handle money. Now, again, this is uncomfortable, but this is the way it goes. The problem for us is that uh, we think of our own kingdom. We think of how can I get more money? How can I get a promotion? How can I hold on to it? How can I keep it from the IRS? How can I, you know, this kind of, kind of my thing. And one of the things that we've said many times here is that we were created for stewardship, not kingship. We, we weren't created in order to control our lives. We were created to be stewards of what God has given us. Do you think of your paycheck as coming from God? It's hard, isn't it? Because you think, man, that's mine. I earned it. But that's kingship. That's control. That's I get mine. I worked and it's mine and I, I have it. But we, you weren't created for that. And what happens is when you want to control Every time we want kingship, we become enslaved. So if, 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 you're, if you're concerned about money, you become enslaved, buying things and kind of building up our own personal, um, our own personal kingdom. We become enslaved to that. If you uh, want to control people around you and control all this, you will, you will need to medicate. You will need to, um, you'll become enslaved to the very thing you're trying to build. You become enslaved to your own, to your own kingdom. Here's the way Jesus wraps this up in basically a, a couple of verses. He says, whoever can be trusted with very little. Now, now here, here, this is really important that, because oftentimes we think, well, I don't even make enough for it to be, a, to be really stewardship. I don't really have that much. Jesus is concerned about every little bit of it. And even though it doesn't feel like it's a big deal, it, he is concerned about it. And so he says, whoever's faithful very little can also be trusted with much. And who's ever dishonest with very little will also be dishonest with much. And you've seen this probably in your own life. You've seen people who are irresponsible with their stuff and you're just like, oh, you, you wouldn't put them in charge of anything because they're, they're, not, they're not faithful. And this is what Jesus is saying. You are a, you're a steward. You are created for stewardship. You are created to be entrusted with things. And we find our relationship with God in the context of that stewardship. So here's, uh, here's what Jesus says in Matthew. He says, Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth, do not be concerned with building your own kingdom. Don't be concerned about what you're going to get. When's the next thing? What can I buy? Because here's what happens. Moths and vermin destroy that. And you've probably seen that in your own life where you bought something that's sitting in your garage right now that you thought was going to be the greatest thing in the world. And it's like, there it is. It's just sitting there, rustied away. And then it also goes on and says, and we're thieves, uh, break in and steal. In other words, building our own kingdom doesn't work. Uh, both by nature, it'll, 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 it'll go away, and by just life, things getting stolen and breaking and all that kind of stuff. It's, it's futile to build our own kingdom. He goes on. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven, the other kingdom, where moths and vermin do not destroy and where thieves do not 
break in and steal. And then Jesus brings it all down to this one level. And here's what he says. Where your treasure is, that's where your heart's going to be. And you've probably seen this in your own life. One time, um, I decided to invest in Apple Computer. And um, uh, uh, so I did. And um, apparently... They didn't do very well. They waited for my investment and then decided to drive the company into the ground. And so uh, I invested in Apple Computer, and I ended up losing like 20% uh, by the time I sold it. Um, But I've never been more interested in Apple Computer than when I bought those stocks. (laughs) Like I buy every little thing online about Apple. I started eating apples. I mean, I just, Apple, everything was Apple. I mean, I wanted to know, what's the CEO doing? What do you have for breakfast? When's the next meeting? When's the next shareholders thing? What are they inventing? All this kind of stuff. Because I had treasure in Apple. And so my heart, I was committed to that company. And then, uh, like I said, I, I don't know if I told you this, but I'm kind of a financial genius. Um, anyway, I, I, I ended up selling it at a, at a loss. And then never really cared about Apple after that, except when I was going to get my next iPhone, okay, but where my treasure was, and you've probably had the same thing, where you've invested in something, or you were interested in something, and that, 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 where that treasure went, that's where your heart was, if you've ever bought a home, and you just had that feeling of like, oh my gosh, this is just incredible, that's where your heart is, because that's where your treasure is, now here's the thing that's so important to understand, God loves you, And so this whole idea of stewardship isn't about control. It's about freedom. God knows that when you try to build your own kingdom, your heart's going to be there and your heart's going to get broken. You're going to buy something and it's going to feel good and then it's going to be over and you're going to be like, you're going to be like, it's like chasing after the wind. And God knows this. He created you to be a steward of his kingdom. And so when we try to build our own kingdom and get and gather and buy and spend and all this kind of stuff, he knows that's going to that's gonna be, uh, it's going to fail us. As a matter of fact, he goes on and he says this, not, not only for where your treasure is, your heart's going to be, but that you can't serve two masters. You're going to hate the one and love the other, or you'll be devoted to one and despise the other. Look at the radical language Jesus uses. He doesn't, he doesn't parse any words. He's, he's saying you'll either hate or love or be devoted to or despise. And God loves you and says, listen, as I entrust you with things and you focus on my kingdom, your heart will not be broken. If you don't, if I entrust you with something and you use it to build your own power, your own ego, your own security, all this, it's going to fail every single time. You can't serve both masters. And then he just comes right out and says it. (laughs) And he says... You can't serve God and money. Now, why does he say that? Because money is a bad God. Bad God. (laughs) Money is a horrible God. Because here's what you want out of a God. You want a God that loves you. You want a God that has your best interests in mind. You want a God who even when it gives kind of a hard word, you know this is because it's for my own good. Money is a bad God. Money will tell you, you, you got to get that promotion or you're not worth much. Your heavenly father says your value has nothing to do with how much you make. 
Money will say, hey, sacrifice your family and get in those extra hours so that you make sure you have enough for this or that. And, and, uh, and so you do, you serve money and you, you go after it and you work all those hours and then your family suffers. Whereas God, your heavenly father says, you don't need to be anxious for anything. I've got you. You, you don't need to be worried about what you're going to eat or drink or what you're going to wear. All the, the pagans run after all that stuff. Don't you know your heavenly father knows that? Money says uh, that next purchase is going to bring happiness. And you know what money does? It teases you a little bit. And when you make that purchase, it does feel good. And so you kind of buy into it a little bit. And so you buy it. You wait for, you know, uh, Amazon Prime to show up two days later. And you get it. And you're opening it up. And, ooh, there's a little worship thing that goes on there. And you, 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 you feel something. And, oh, wow. And then it just goes away. And you want the next thing. And money is a bad God. It left you just empty. Money makes you think that uh, if, you, if you make more, you're worth more. Bad God. Bad God. <laughs> you can't serve both God and money. They have competing things. So, so what do we do? H- how do you get out of serving money? Well, and again, this is you know, the harder part of the sermon. Uh, God came up with a system. He came up with a system to break the curse of money. And it's called giving. You actually give your way out of greed. (laughs) And here's how it goes. Uh, It starts out like this. God gives you $10. This is $10 right here. Now, if I went to somebody in the audience, um, this is from our uh, coffee ministry, by the way, so I have to make sure it gets back in that jar. Um, if I went to you and I said, hey, I'd like to give you $10, and you're like, wow, thank you very much. You're a very nice person. I say, yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, there's just one, one thing. Uh, I need a dollar of it back. You'd be like, okay. <laughs> so I get $9. Yeah, yeah, you get $9. Now imagine if these were $100 bills, right? And you guys are like, wow, everyone just like sit, sit, sat up a little bit. Later, you can't serve God in money, guys, okay? All right. So let's say it's $100. I say, look, I'll give you $1,000, 10 $100 bills, but there's just one thing. You just got to give me 100 back. Where do I I'll do, I'll do this all day long, right? Why is it? Where's the disconnect for us where when God gives us $10, we're like, eh, I think I'll just take all 10 I need all 10. Well, here's what I, I think. I got to make sure that I get Hey, Connie, we got $10 stolen from the church. For one thing, it's God, and he's invisible, and so it's kind of like, well, I'm not actually giving God back a dollar. I'm writing a check to, like, the church, and that is different. The other thing is, it's hard for us to wrap our mind around the fact that everything we have is his. Because it feels like ours. When I get that paycheck, it feels like mine. Rather than him going, I'm going to entrust you with this. I need my 10% back, but I'm going to entrust you with this. And you can live off this. I'm giving this 90% to you. Very fair. I give you 100. You give me back 10. You live off of 90. There's something about that. Now, when it comes to giving, that's the other, the other part is that if we give 10% to the church, 
it doesn't, it, 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 you, it's hard to measure how that is used. So I, I wrote down a couple things. One, one is that there's emotional giving, and, and that, that has a cause to it. So if you're, on, if you're watching television and you see this place that uh, helps puppies that only have one leg, you're like, oh, a puppy only has one leg. And you, you, you get, there's this emotional feeling of, I'm going to give money to the organization that helps one-legged puppies. And it feels good. Now, here's the thing. God loves this giving. There's nothing wrong with emotional giving. There's nothing wrong with seeing a cause and going, we have to do something about that. This is a justice issue. Puppies should have four legs. They're not one. We've got to do something. I want to to be aware of this and raise awareness and be a part of it. God loves that. As a matter of fact, a lot of what Jesus did came out of emotion. One of the scriptures in the Bible says that that one of the reasons he was healing is that he looked out over the crowds and they were like sheep without a shepherd and he felt compassion. And so he began healing them emotional giving that has a cause and you can measure it and you'll see sometimes you know behind the person they'll have a um you know like uh, how much they've raised so far and you'll see it going and you know it's like you got to get to 50,000 we've reached our goal we've saved 100 puppies uh whatever sometimes there'll be like a little thermometer and they'll mark it out maybe if you've been involved in school you know and you're selling magazines or whatever that's a, that's emotional giving that has a cause to it we're trying to raise money for this But there's another kind of giving that God is really, really interested in if you're going to call yourself a follower of Jesus because it impacts almost every other area of your life and it's devotional giving. That doesn't have a cause. That has a plan. Now, in the Bible, they call that plan the tithe. And that's just any time we get 10 of these, we give one back to God. And it... And it's not very sexy, <laughs> and it can't be measured, and it's hard to attach a f- great story to it. I can tell you stories about how the church uses the money and all that kind of stuff, but there's something deeper that happens. Devotional giving doesn't need a story. It has a plan. It says, God, I believe that everything I have comes from you, and I trust you for everything that I have, and so I'm going to give back 10%. Now, so I know what some of you are thinking, because um, the way it works in our church, uh, I've done the numbers, there's about 28% of us that tithe, okay? That, that leaves uh, another 72% that doesn't. So for, so for you guys, I I'm just don't feel like I'm ganging up on you. I'm just telling you that's just the reality of it. But if you haven't tithed, and all of a sudden, you hear the pastor going, you really should, you're doing a calculation in your head. And because you're smart, this whole time, you've figured out what 10% of your income is. You've done the calculation. You carried the one. You put the decimal in the right place. You did all that kind of stuff. And you're sitting there going, you're out of your mind. <laughs> I ain't writing a check for that much. Are you crazy? I, I earned that money. I, listen, I get it. All I can tell you is this. Because I've, I've done it since the time I was 13. When I was 13 years old, um, Pastor Paul Cedar, he was my pastor at Lake Avenue Congregational Church, and he had the largest hands of any man I'd ever seen in my life. 
he would go like this and then his fingers would like brush the ceiling. Like they, they were just giant hands. And so I was, I was young uh, and I would just look, while he was preaching, I'd just look at his hands. Right? I have little baby hands. He had these giant hands. And, and I remember him talking about the tithe one time. And, and I had a paper route. And again, I'm kind of a mathematical genius. I figured out what 10% of my income was. And I'm like, I think he's crazy. Because I was saving up for a Webco BMX bike with snake belly tires and Shimano brakes. And I really, really had to have that. Okay? And so the idea of me giving, because I, I had a paper route and I made $200 a month. The idea of giving 20 of my hard-earned paper route dollars that would go to my Webco bike with snake belly tires and Shimano brakes and give it to the guy with the giant hands. No. But he convinced me. Because he was intimidating. And so I started at 13 years old, tithing. And they even gave me little envelopes with my name on it. Because if you're going to pay money, they'll write anything on those envelopes. They said, you're a great kid, you know, whatever. You know what began to happen in my life? I began to not miss the money. I began to treasure the church because that's where my treasure was. I was way more interested in what was going on. I was, had my ear way more tuned to, to what the impact that the church was having. And I was more invested in the kingdom of God. Now, I praise God that I started when I was 13. Because those increments of my, of my raises, just, it just became natural to just give 10% of my income. So now that I make 17000 a year, that $1,700 is not a big deal to me. I don't even think about it. I never really think about it. I just help fund the kingdom of God. And I grow closer to my Heavenly Father because of it. Now, that's just my story. And so if you're sitting there and you're like, Man, okay, I make this much. I can't write that check. I would encourage you to come up with a plan. What are you going to give? How are you going to give? If you have a spouse, and most of the time, I don't know why this is, but most of the time women get this. Men are just like, hey, you earned that money. I'm not doing that, you know, whatever. Because that's how men talk, right? And the wife is like, I think we should tithe, you know, we should trust in the Lord. You should trust in me. Okay. Right? Because that's, that's men. That's just how we, that's just what we, just, I had this conversation just today. Uh, no. Uh, but, but that's the thing, is that, is that we, you need a plan to get started. So maybe your plan is 1%. It's not quite full obedience, but at least it's something where you have a plan and you say, look, okay, honey, or whatever, you get, you, you come and you say, I, I can't, 10% is just hard for me, but let, and watch how the Lord honors that, and watch how your grip of money begins to be gone. So, I, I, I wrote this down because I, uh, it was kind of a difficult week. I, I just had a lot of thoughts in my head about, uh, and this one I couldn't get away from. Giving is not God's way of raising money, it's his way of raising his children, See, if you think of money as just like, if you think of giving as just like, well, the church is just going to take it or whatever, then yeah, I can't help you. I mean, that, that's just, it, it's, it's, you're, you're missing the bow. But if you think of it as like, hey, this is the way God allows me to trust in him. 
This is one of the key ways. Remember, like I said, our, our relationship with him is oftentimes in the context of stewardship. And so if you've gone through in your mind, okay, I make this much and I got to give 10%. Oh man, guess what's going to have to happen? I'm going to have to make some changes in my spending. Exactly. Where are you going to go? Who are you going to talk to about those changes? Your heavenly father. (laughs) You say, Lord, I don't know. I don't know how I'm going to do this. I guess I, and you'll have that conversation. Our relationship is in the context of stewardship. He uses this to raise us, to discipline us to teach us. Now, I want to leave uh, in the next five minutes just to kind of give you an idea of our ministry context because here's the reality of it. You don't want to go to a church that constantly needs money, right? I mean, I, I heard, I heard uh, Pastor Andy Stanley talking about this uh, this week. You don't want to go to a church that constantly needs your money. That's annoying. You know, you're sitting there and the pastor's like, oh, I don't know how we're going to keep the lights on and, oh, we're going to have to fire Bob, oh, you know, if we don't get enough and, you know, uh, we take two offerings. The first one we counted, it didn't have enough in it, so we're going to take another one, right? You'd be like, oh, I don't want to go to that church. I don't want to give to that church. They're going to waste it. It's mismanaged. That's kind of what you'd think. That's what I would think. So you don't want to give to a church that constantly needs money, but then again, you don't want to give to a church that doesn't need money. Because then you're just like, well, if they don't need the money, then they're taking my money. That's kind of a waste. So here's the reality. If you don't give to a church that needs money and you don't give to a church that doesn't need money, you'll never give to a church you actually attend (laughs) because they're in one of those two camps. Here's how it works in our ministry context. So like I said, about 28% of us uh, buy into this system of tithing that the Lord has set up. And here's how our budget works out. 67% of that tithes and offerings go to salary. 22% go to facility. Now, if you're a thinker, you're going, man, I don't want to give to that organization. Everything goes to everyone's salaries. What are you guys doing? Are you guys driving BMWs? I mean, what what is the, the thing? Well, it's kind of a little misleading because those salaries are actually ministry too because we all minister. But that 7% is like children's ministry, youth ministry. Now, what would happen, let's just say, instead of 28% of us tithing, if that just went up by 50%, so another 14% started tithing. This is what that pie chart would look like. Watch the yellow go from 7 to that. Now, now, 30-something, what is that? 33% goes right into ministry. What if instead of 28% of us, it doubled to 56%? That's what it would look like. So the problem isn't really the organization of the church. I mean, we have to keep lights on. We have to do that. The problem is a lack of obedience. Matter of fact, you want to know what it would look like if everybody tied? This is, my, this is a conservative uh, estimate. And, and by the way, I get these numbers. I, I don't know who tithes. I, I, I just know I can see numbers, but I don't know who. Because if I knew, I'd, I'd treat you guys better. Um, uh, I'm just playing. Um, no, I'm playing. That's okay. okay. Uh, this is what full obedience looks like in a church. We would essentially have more money than we would know what to do with ministry, right? I mean, there would be, your leadership would just be free 
And we would be free as a church to do anything we wanted to for the kingdom of God. If, if, if that. Now, again, I know that's a little unrealistic, okay? But that's the reality of it. So, uh, let me ask you a question. What's your plan? Emotional giving has a cause, and I can, I can stand up and give you causes to inv- invest in or whatever devotional giving has a plan. I know that it all comes from God, and I'm going to give God this portion back. And so in our context, for our home, um, because I keep forgetting to write checks, uh, we just have it taken out of our bank account at whatever interval. Um, I used to write a check, but I'd forget, and then I'd have to write like three months' worth of time. That's hard. Okay, because you're like, uh, you know, it just feels horrible. So we just have it taken out. What's your plan? Again, I don't mean this to, to, to make you feel guilty or whatever. I just know the freedom. And I know the opportunity we have as a family, a church, to do unbelievable ministry. I'll give you one quick example, and then we'll, we'll close up if Adjo wants to come back up. Um, we had our dodgeball tournament uh, a few weeks ago, and, uh, um, and so that's why I'm getting an MRI this week. Uh, but um, we had our dodgeball tournament, and we raised $1,500 in that dodgeball tournament, more than we've ever raised in a dodgeball tournament, almost by double, okay? $1,500. So it's, it's really awesome, and you guys were super generous, and thank you for that. And, uh, and um it took the youth group about 100 man hours to put that on. Now imagine if somebody making $15,000 a year tithed, you'd have your 1500 bucks, And that 100 hours would go straight into kids. They wouldn't have to put on a dodgeball tournament. They wouldn't have to spend time thinking about all that kind of stuff. Now, that's just youth ministry. Imagine a church that could... Spend, the leadership could spend all their time worrying about people and not things. Now, I praise God for you guys because we're not in any great financial difficulty. <laughs> but that's not why we would do it anyway. It's for freedom. It's so that you can be set free from this God of money that will take it all and ask you to go into debt to even have more. So what we're going to do is uh, Audrey is going to lead us in a song and um, I'd like you to just think about that. If you're not a consistent, sacrificial giver, maybe this morning is the time where you say, you know what? Okay, I'm going to pick a number. I'm going to get started. I just want to test God in this and just see what happens. And this is the morning. And so that's between you and God. And again, I don't know who gives what. I, I, I really don't. And so maybe that's what you do. Maybe if you're, uh, 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 if you are, a, you've taken the tithe, maybe you think, you know what, I need to do more emotional giving. I need to give to more causes. Maybe you support Eden Projects, which is where we plant trees, or ELI, where we, um, uh, we do our work in Africa. But this is the time we happen to take our offering to. So, so maybe you just do business with God. And we take that offering, and a lot of us give online, but we take that offering, we put it with our connection cards in the back. Let me pray for you. Lord, I pray for courage. Uh, I pray for um, a sense of your spirit that, uh, that uh, we can trust you with everything that we have, and that we know that everything we have comes from you.
And so, Lord, for, for some of us who are making this decision, maybe for the first time, to just give consistently, Lord, that, um, that you'd strengthen them in that. Again, not so much for the money for the church, but just for obedience and for being set free. So, Lord, I pray that this morning people would be set free. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you.